When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so oh, it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is Gayish, the podcast that doesn't believe in ten-inch dicks, but they believe in you. <laughs> oh no! This if a if a dick falls on the forest and <laughs> no one's there to sit on it, does it? <laughs> What's the sound of one dick clapping? <laughs> one dick with clap. <laughs> oh God! I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz, and we're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And today, Kyle, whoa, Mike, there are no ten-inch dicks. The 10-inch dicks didn't say that about you. <laughs> There's a documentary idea. Uh, today, we're going to... quest. It's almost as important as the documentaries we will be discussing today yeah. in our episode about documentaries. We're going to talk about documentaries. Yeah. But first... But first... Uh, there is 100 words, but I'm going to do it next week instead of this week because we've got a fuck ton of shit to get through. We have. I'm really excited about the interviews you'll hear uh, momentarily and, or... or or in half an hour, however long we talk up front. But I, we had some really good conversations that I'm excited for y'all to hear. But first, fucking Dan is here with all the shit we fucked up. He brought a notebook. <laughs> a three-ring binder. <laughs> Laminated. <laughs> different sections. Oh, why are you getting out that whiteboard? Okay. How did you fuck up? Let me count the ways. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't able to be there for Lou, the Lube episode. And contrary to uh, popular opinion, it was not because I have COVID or diabetes. Okay. Uh, I just, I was having... You were fucking Wilford Brimley, <laughs> which is real gross. I, He's been dead for like weeks now. Oh, okay, no. go ahead. Oh, really? Yeah. Wilfred Brimley died. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Are we in the news section or what's <laughs> happening? Um. Wow. How did I not hear? Yeah. Uh. We were so close. Mm. Um. So yeah. So I'm I'm feeling much better. Uh. Thank you to the people that in the Facebook group said some really sweet stuff. Were worried about me. Uh, first off, I'm going to do them in the order that they occurred in the episode, I believe. Um, first off, cool. uh, a correction to a correction. Oh. <laughs> the word hermaphrodite is a valid term for non-human species, such as slugs and earthworms, that have that are that have full reproductive ability in both directions. Okay. It is not a term to be used for human beings. Okay, I'm down with that. Uh, second correction, carrageenan, not carrageenan. Uh, which I know will now be the new bonobos. I don't uh, even know what you're talking about, so that's fine. But I accept carrageenan. Carrageenan is a seaweed derivative used in lube, ice cream, lots of things. Oh, correction oh. for Mike, so oh. I get to ignore this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The name of Whoopi oh, Goldberg's next. character on Next Generation. Oh, also get to ignore that because I don't know what's happening. Gynan. Carrageenan. That's. Oh Jesus. Okay, <laughs> uh, Kyle, your turn. <gasps> DJ Martin, the author of uh, Coldplay. Play. Yeah. Uh, so you tried to make a joke about him being a DJ, like DJ Modest Mouse. Yeah. Modest Mouse is an indie rock band who notably played in my living room in the 90s. Uh, Danger Mouse is a DJ that you're trying to talk no, about. No, who's the guy with the head, the big head? Isn't that Modest Mouse? No, Modest Mouse is an indie who's rock the, band. Who's the guy that wears the big head and DJs? Oh, Dead Mouse. Dead Mouse. That's what I was going for. All right. So you, you fucked all three things up. There's wow. so many. <laughs> okay. Last thing. 
you claimed I would not know anything about condoms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you guys proceeded to not know what fucking latex is. Yeah, that's true. It is not plastic, Mike, nor Great. is it magic. Great. <laughs> it is a natural product that comes from a tree, also known as rubber. Mm-hmm. That's why we call them rubbers. Oh. Condoms are rubbers because they're fucking made of rubber. Great. All right. That's it. <laughs> Jesus. Try better. Be better. <laughs> Be better. Try harder. Be- <laughs> um, no, I will not try harder. <laughs> I will continue. Thank you. I. Um, the good thing this week is you guys didn't do any research, so that's true. Not, we didn't have to. It's to be really hard to fuck something. Well, up this week. you say that, <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> uh, time for the news. Yeah, news. News. Thank you for this to the astute listener who pointed out that sometimes my news things sound like uh, Tammy on Bob's Burgers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you don't have to understand this. Just like when you talk about Star Trek, I don't have to understand. Is that it. Linda's sister? Nope. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> here we go. Great. Yep. Okay. First of all, we're going to start with a little bit of sad news. Um, Timothy Ray Brown, who made history as the Berlin patient, uh, the first person known to be cured of HIV, has died. He was 54. He died at his home Tuesday in Palm Springs, California, Um, according to a social media post by his partner, Tim Hefkin. uh, The cause was a return of cancer. He had leukemia and HIV, which was actually part of the reason they were able to cure him in the first place it, but uh uh yeah so i don't know i mean so the, it sounds like the the fact that hiv was cured in a human doesn't change this doesn't change that right notion so that yeah they cured his hiv and then he died of something else which is like right. that's just like 2020 to the rescue yeah. right like, yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, I think the the concern when you see that story is, oh, it didn't work then. So obviously, very, tragedy that he died, but still a man- monumental person and moment for HIV research and yep. cure. Yep. Um, yeah, si- similar to what you were just saying, Dr. Gero Heder, the Berlin physician who led Brown's historic treatment, said, quote, Timothy symbolized that it is possible <laughs> under special circumstances. Oh, my God. Am I a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> Great. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Kyle is a doctor. Get your copays ready <laughs> <laughs> at www.patreon.com. <laughs> copays available uh, for two dollars a month. You can get the best sound medical advice available on this show. <laughs> that is all incorrect. <laughs> Kyle is not a physician, and Gage is not your source for medical information. <laughs> Legally required, Dan. Correction. We've made it clear that you shouldn't rely on us for anything. Really but. anything. How do you do an audio prostate exam? So this is a tragedy is yeah, what we're yeah. trying to say. Oh, man. Yep. R.I.P. Timothy Ray Brown. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Next. Okay. I love this. Uh, this story is a couple of weeks old. And I've just been trying to figure out a, where to like get, jam it, it? Get, it, get it, get it jammed. So Cheshire County, New Hampshire... Um, the Republican, I mean, it's, it's very blue there just for what it's worth, but the Republican nominee for sheriff dropped out of the race. So this person registered as a Republican and ran and won the nomination. Hmm. So the Republican nominee for sheriff in that County 
is Aria DiMezzo, who is a transgender Satanist anarchist whose campaign slogan was fuck the police. (laughs) (laughs) Did they... Was it an accident? What happened? This is intentional on Aria's part. No, no, no. Oh, not not that. Like, that that people voted. uh, Like... So, so, so... Explaining her surprising victory in a blog post, Demetso wrote, quote, I went into it expecting that I would lose the primary to a write-in candidate because I didn't think that so many voters were just completely and totally oblivious about who they're voting for. Uh. She was the only Republican on the ticket. People went in there and they're like, well, Trump or whatever, here I go, and voted for the R, not realizing that the R was a trans-Satanist anarchist. I like the idea that I know not everyone, like there's the white supremacists and and crazies that are into Trump, but all the other right-wingers are Trump or whatever. That's what their slogan should be. Yep. Yep. I I also, I I feel a little bit weird about this story because I'm a office holding member of the democratic party i would for sure be that voter Hmm. if i walked in and i didn't know enough about a race but i saw a d next to their name i would absolutely fucking vote for them yeah so hmm, i don't know i mean i uh, before i every ballot i I have my sources that i trust to i I don't necessarily research every single person um but I, i have my sources that i trust and get recommendations from and and use that to inform so i it's not just a blanket Whoever. But uh, then again, doing that, that approach, 99% of the time, you're going to vote for the person you would have voted, you know, D or yeah. R. So, yeah. you know, it's still a, a generally effective approach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she is now going to be running on November 3rd against a five time incumbent <laughs> Democrat. So it's not likely that she's going to win. But I thought this was interesting. Uh, she said, quote, the fact is that you didn't bother. You trusted the system. You trusted the establishment. You trusted the party. You felt safe. You were sure that there must be some mechanisms in place to prevent from occurring exactly what just occurred. Your anger is misplaced if you directed it at me. Please listen. Your anger is with the system that has lied to you. Your anger is with the system that convinced you to believe in it, trust in it, and have faith in it when it is completely and utterly broken. Let me yep. pause and reflect and just let that wash over me. Yep. 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 Especially on the heels of God only knows what fucking Trump is going to do on November 4th, the day after the election. Well, you know, <clears throat> if, if, you know, if he's, you know. She also said that's a level of recklessness which any decent human being should be ashamed. <laughs> anyway. News the last? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it nope. came, I think it came up last episode or the episode before. I feel like Dan was here, so I don't know. I don't know when it was. Sarah Paulson, who has a new show out, Ratchet, about Nurse Ratchet, who was the nurse in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, has opened up about the ageist criticism of her relationship with Holland Taylor. Oh. So, uh, I don't know who that is. So Holland Taylor, you would recognize her because of her involvement in um, Legally Blonde, I think. That's them together. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely don't. Oh, really? No. Uh, I, I think she's quite recognizable, but cool. I'm, I get to be gayer than you today. <gasps> um, so Sarah Paulson is 45. Legally Blonde actress Holland Taylor is 77. Damn. And there's a, so math, there's a 32 year age gap between them. And uh, people 
I mean, there's a whole show about it, right? Like Age Gap Love or whatever yeah, the fuck. Yeah, yeah. And we talked. There's a show. It's called Gayish that did an episode about age. Yeah, sure. It's episode four. Sure, sure. We did. That's where. That's why I watched that show and really liked it. It was really interesting. Did it? Did you? Did it change your like knee jerk reactions to this kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, um, well. Uh, I mean, it, I think in the way you mean, yes, it, it changed my opinion of it. I still have the knee-jerk reaction. Like, my insta- it takes a long time to untrain yourself of some of those things. So, no, I still have the, like, that's a big age difference. Whoa, that's wrong. That's whatever. So now, at least, though, I'm getting to the point where then I question that knee-jerk reaction and have a different and I'm trying to change that opinion. So, yes, it did help me do that. Yeah. All right. Well. Um... What about you? I mean, I'm not totally obviously reconciled because I still noticed it. It's not like I said, oh, 32 years, ain't no thing. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. my brain still latched onto that as something that yeah. mattered. Well, yeah. So, I, I mean, I said, damn, like, that That seems like support or or don't support. Like, that seems like a lot of years. Like, that's interesting and stands out to me. Yeah. Which is more so. interesting, the age gap or the fact that they're lesbians? Don't oh. answer that. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know that they're lesbian or identify as lesbian, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> the way you said that. Um, I thought this was funny. The American Horror Story star also had a clear message for fans who deride Taylor. Quote, anybody says anything about any person I love in a way that is disrespectful or cruel, and I want to cut a bitch. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> Which Sarah Paulson, some of her roles, she is terrified. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, in 2016, an interview with the New York Times, she explained that she fell head over heels for Taylor because, quote, she is probably the most exquisitely beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Um, yeah. So she came up on the show. We were asking, I didn't know she was like, literally, I had no idea that she was in a same sex relationship. Same. Same. Um, I had no idea. Uh She, uh... Uh, notably refuses to label her sexual orientation as referred to herself as fluid in the past. Great. Uh, that's the news. That's the news? Yeah. All right. No other news stories kind of jumped out at you recently? It's, I don't know. Yeah. Like, don't. like what? what? Nothing. Everything's cool and chill in America. Um, I want... Do you mean that the, the orange bastard has well, COVID? Yeah. I didn't know if you were going to say anything and we, uh, we don't need to talk about it. Um, I uh I want to thank our Patreon members. Winsor Garachi. Oh. Garasi? Garasi. Garchi. Um uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt Pilsner. Oh, haven't we had a, a Pilsner on? No, that no, was we without a past. Sorry, I just tickled myself. Go, Great. Coming up next, John Logger. <laughs> uh, no. Uh uh Technicolor, which is spelled in the in most incorrect way you could find it, but I think that's like a handle or something. Uh, William start with a P or something. Nope. Great. But why not? <laughs> like, like pterodactyl. Oh no! But Technicolor, get on that. That'd be cool. Um, William Horn with an E at the end because I thought you should know that. Horny? Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> Bill Horny? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, and uh, Levente Scultati. <laughs> <laughs> got it your nope time. i'm pretty fine with that okay. um if you want bonus content episodes there's over 30 hours of bonus shit if you want to listen to shit that is good shit then go to patreon.com slash gayish podcast great uh 
Do you want to talk about documentaries? Let's talk about documentaries. Doc-u-documentaries. Like just this morning, we talked to a dude who's been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, shit. That's the closest we'll ever get to like any kind of like Oscar person. I feel like we should thank the Academy right now. <laughs> for allowing us the, to talk to a person who... You're the one that won a fucking coffee, Kyle. That's <laughs> ah, my fault. I'm going to drink it then so I can enjoy it. Great. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about documentaries. And, and and part of the part of the thing here, at least to me, I think of documentaries as being very, very Karen. Like it's a thing <laughs> that white straight people watch and probably a woman because she wants to feel educated or something. Like that's just... <laughs> That's that's where I'm at. Okay. And so we're sort of by doing this show and, and interviewing these awesome queer documentarians, that's it's it's challenging that just sort of baseline feeling that it's a straight person thing. Yeah. Well, I think anything that involves a reflection on history, we history itself is a there's a really great quote about history is written by the something by the people the victories it's, the victors sure. history is written by the victors history is written by uh, the smart historians who are also white anyway yeah. uh, so any kind of reflection on the unspoken or the unknown parts about history um is stands out or or mm. hopefully does uh and and it's really interesting that these are queer people telling queer stories but we also want other people to have eyes on that 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 it's not just queer people learning and educating themselves on it yeah i've been by the way straight dudes don't give any shits that's why they're not watching documentaries (laughs) wait really i feel like i need to defend myself from a little bit ago oh wait why do you think straight dudes aren't watching documentaries because like introspection and growth are just not (laughs) straight guy things to want to do stereotypically straight guy things bring on the espn which has no value whatsoever yeah Great. yeah we care about sports more than we care about like grandma um i will say that i've been watching documentaries way more um this year uh, yeah, than you've given me a giant list to watch that i've ignored that you've done none of yeah i think it, it has tied into uh, my growing interest in true crime, not in the passionate way that, that a lot of people have, but just a tangential like interest and interest in listening to. And that has led me into some true crime documentaries and true crime like documentary series. I don't know what those are called, but and especially during Pride this year where there was no events or anything, it was like, that's a good time. Uh, to, uh, to, to, instead of drinking and fucking, to, watch and learn and uh, all of these documentaries that we're going to talk about i think are really great uh, i think most if not all of them are available on some of the common platforms that you'll be able to see and there there's so much out there for queer queer people to watch i, I always say like it is the minimum effort required to learn shit because you get to like hang out and sit down and watch a tv and it's also interesting so like yeah 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 for sure God, when I was a kid, I would watch PBS for fucking hours. Where did that go? I mean, PBS is still a thing. I guess I could turn that back on <laughs> if I wanted to. But like, wow, you were were you a were you a boring child? <laughs> oh, my mom like said that I would just sit and watch PBS for hours if if she'd let me. Wow, that's so yes, yes, sounds just terribly boring. So lame. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Um, so first up, we are going to talk to David France, who, nope. no, 
Oh, yeah, you're right. We're going to talk to Daniel Carslake, who is the person behind For They Know Not What They Do and For The Bible Tells Me So. Yep. As well as other projects that he talks about with us. Yep. Yep. So, so should we take a break? Well, oh. I don't know if it's a break. Let's just... It's a break, Kyle. Oh, it's a break? Yes. Okay. Let's take a break. Let's take a break, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. Hi, are we back? Did we take a break? Yes, we're back. We're we're back. We we are here with uh, Daniel Carslake. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so we're going to jump right into it. You are a impressive, one of the more impressive people we've had on the show, documentarian, uh, uh, some of the films that probably most of our audience have have already seen but um i came out in 2008 i think i saw for the bible tells me so when i was a baby gay so it's, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty great yeah oh i love it that's uh, so cool thank you that's so great so let's start actually with for the bible tells me so um that came out in 2007 i believe and i'm really curious like how do you feel about it currently yeah i mean i would say when i made it uh that was my first film so i didn't even i really didn't know what i was doing honestly (laughs) i just sort of made it up as i was going along and i i thought at that point you know i I, documentaries were really catching on especially in the u.s in the early 2000s and so by 2003 when i decided to quit my job and make that film um I thought that films just got made and then they premiered at Sundance and then they went to theaters. I thought all films, all documentaries did had that path. (laughs) So that's how I kind of moved forward in the making of it. And we miraculously did get into Sundance, although I didn't know that it was a miracle until I read when it was in the New York Times a couple days later after they'd called me something like, you know, there were here are the 1400 documentaries that you know, were submitted or here are the 16, here are the 16 documentaries that were, have been chosen out of the 1400 that were submitted. Shit. Uh, I almost passed out in the <laughs> middle of Broadway reading that in the New York times. Um, but then we were in theaters and all of that. So I wouldn't say I ever really thought about longevity or anything. I just thought about, I needed to get something out there that was going to stop this right religious, right, conversation dominated conversation about the fact that gays are condemned by the bible because it's not what i learned it's not what i ever heard from any of the clergy i ever came upon and i certainly had never really um well no i'll I'll go back I, i i certainly knew a number of stories of really amazingly powerfully religious gay uh parents of gay kids who had come around to embrace their children and in my work for PBS, um, in which I did a lot around religion and LGBTQ people, um, the amount of suicide and misery that was caused by religion uh, just really was untenable for me. So mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to make do the work I was doing on PBS in a movie so that more people might see it. Um, and thankfully, uh, kind of miraculously, that. Uh, has happened, uh, in spades. And, um, you know, the film is now in 24 languages around the world. So it it just keeps getting translated into new languages and premiering. So that film has had amazing legs, much more than I ever thought. I didn't really understand, honestly, what legs film has like, you know, television work is great and it, and it's getting better with, with entities like Netflix and Amazon and all the streamers. 
Um, but generally, when you do something for a television, uh, it's on television for a certain amount of time, and then it disappears forever. But films live. Um, and, you know, I, I still hear from every one of those families in that film pretty regularly about being recognized in airports and, you know, well, not right now, but yeah. <laughs> when air, people were going to airports um, and going into public, uh, I constantly was hearing about how people were thanked and all of that. So I'm super That's proud great. of that film. I'm amazed that it's had the life it's had. I think you answered what I was going to ask. I think I always think of Jennifer Aniston talking about playing Rachel and she's like so over what she, like I did that in the past and I move I'm you know I'm the star of cake or she doesn't say that but like something like that. D- how do you feel about like this work that you did you do a bunch of other shit after that. How do you feel about this work coming back or being what people know you for. I, I, I think it's great. Um, I, it's not something I ever thought would happen. Um, the film's message is all about family and about, um, you know, making room for what really matters in life and not depending only on dogma, which causes so much misery. So I'm super proud of it. I, I, if that's the only thing people ever remember about my work, I am the luckiest person I've ever met. <laughs> I'm, you're, I was... you're more Matt LeBlanc than Jen, than Jennifer Aniston is what I'm hearing. So that's, that's good. Okay. I'm All really, right, I'll give you that. I'm really glad to hear that you quit your job to do this film because it means that Kyle's halfway there. He's, he's... I Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way to say I'm unemployed, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so For the Bible Tells Me So, that comes from a, a, a ch- the children's song, right? Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. Then um, an- another film that you've done that's a little more more recent is For They Know Not What They Do, and I'm that's also from the Bible, right? Um, and I <laughs> I was wrong last night. I was talking to Kyle. I thought that that was Moses' intercession. That that's something that he said, but that's Jesus said it on the cross, right? Right. Um, yeah. It, the, the The film is about uh, the Obergefell ruling and the fallout from the gay marriage ruling. Um, I'm wondering if the you film can... is really the film is really uh, a follow up to for the Bible tells me so it's not the same families. It's four new families in this time who have who are very religious, who have either a gay or a trans child. There were a lot of things that we missed in for the Bible um, because it was, as you said, a, a film of its time. And it was enough just to try to make a documentary about religion and homosexuality at that <laughs> point. But now. Um, things have have evolved and changed so much, much in a positive way and now suddenly in a very negative way again. Um, so I felt like I wanted to um, revisit this concept, uh, but also look at so what are religious couples who have trans kids doing with this fact that evangelicals have completely taken on and attacked transgender people um, way more than they were attacking uh, gay and lesbian people. So um, I wanted to talk about that. I mean, the reason I decided to make the film, actually, I didn't think I'd make another film about this topic. I'm, as I've said, super proud of For the Bible Tells Me So, but there are a lot of other things I care about. I'm only here for a certain amount of time, and I want to leave behind as much work as I possibly can that that makes change. Yeah. But uh, in 2015, um, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I live in Berlin, I'm talking to you from Berlin. I moved here to Berlin in 2014 with my husband for his job. But in 2015, in August, I started getting death threats again 
through the For the Bible Tells Me So website, which is still live, still going. I still hear from people through that website. And it was very weird because I hadn't gotten a threat in many years. I've gotten a ton of amazing positive feedback about the film, but I'd gotten and I'd gotten a lot of threats when the movie first came out. But all of a sudden in 2015, eight years after the movie was released, I started getting threats and I thought, I said to Russ, like, if people are threatening me over this movie that has been out for eight years, what's happening again in high schools and in colleges on playgrounds Mm -hmm. to LGBTQ kids? And what's going on in the U.S.? Like, what the hell? Um, So I kind of tuned back into what was going on in the U.S. because the the Obergefell decision had just been in June. And this was in August that these threats started. Um, and so I think the next week there was a there was a Republican presidential primary debate. And there were maybe 10 candidates at that point, including the current president. And um, we watched that. <laughs> yeah, we watched that debate. And I couldn't believe how like I think eight out of 10 of them said something unabashedly and proudly anti-gay or anti-trans when we left just two years earlier maybe Huckabee would have said something and maybe one other one other of those candidates but eight out of 10 of them were saying you know don't ask don't tell is uh, gonna come back marriage equality marriage is between a man and a woman Trans people are evil. Whatever they were saying, they were saying really powerful, negative stuff. And I said to Russ, like, what is going on yeah. over there? Yeah. This is a huge change. So I started looking into what was going on at the state level. And at the state level at that time, there were more than 200 anti-LGBTQ bills making it making their way through state legislatures. I had no idea. Single, wow. Yeah. Every single gay person I knew was oblivious to that fact because we were all so happy about (laughs) gay marriage happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, it was totally understandable to me, but I thought this is not good. Like this is clearly the marriage equality decision was the last draw and they are coming for us. So I need to maybe do this again. So that's why I made um, the second film. So, so for they know not what they do, is really um, a, a follow-up to For the Bible Tells Me So, in which we do we take on um, conversion therapy. It was something that we hadn't talked about in the first film. And again, people think conversion therapy is going away. No. <laughs> Exodus ended uh, closes its doors in 2013, and in its place, two other new ministries have... Um, risen up in its place and are now bigger than Exodus ever was. So that's a disaster. That's like handing a loaded gun to a gay kid. I mean, conversion therapy is just the worst thing ever. And um, I really wanted to talk about this religious freedom movement in the U.S. I felt like our side wasn't talking about it very um, effectively in a way that was going to sort of change people's minds. Uh, and the other side was winning and the Supreme Court and everywhere. So that's what that's what this film's about. It's about these four families, their struggles to deal with their faith and their trans and gay kids and conversion therapy and religious freedom. You said a lot of very interesting stuff, but the craziest thing you said is casually, I hadn't been gotten death threats in years. Like, 
that, yeah. that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. We, we, we get hate mail, but never death threats. No, like, yeah, no, well, tell, like in, in case, it ha- I hope it happens someday. But like, uh, if, if, if that happens, what do you do with that information? Do you go to the police? Do you like, is there a hotline you can call for <laughs> filmmakers that are getting death threats? Like, how does that work? <laughs> No, there's no hotline. <laughs> Hello, as, far as I know. Have you one received a death threat? Please press one now. <laughs> have you two? Do you have a gun to your head now? <laughs> yeah. Three. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really crazy. It, I I kind of expected it actually when for the Bible came out because that and at that time there had never been a movie that really questioned. Um, you know what? Well, let me say it another way. At that point. LGBTQ people and allies would just push the Bible aside and say, I don't care about the Bible. I am who I am. And my film was all about, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> like, because I understood that the, if I wanted to change people's minds, the people whose minds I wanted to change loved and respected the Bible. So I needed to, to treat it with respect and change their mind by having all these clergy say, I know you've been told this a thousand times. But when you really look at the context and the time and the language, it's not in there. Hmm. Um, that is extremely threatening to people who's sort of who've based their whole lives on this idea that the, Bi- the, the Bible is in the inerrant word of God. And um, their preacher always said gay people were evil. So the, these death threats that I got back then were always from people who hadn't seen the film. It was clear they hadn't seen the movie. Uh, Um, Because when these same people would see the film, and I had this experience many times, um, when really conservative Christians who came to sort of want to hate the film would come to a screening, at the end, many times they would stand up in the Q&As. I remember at Sundance, I had a woman, probably in the second screening at Sundance, First, first question during the Q&A, I picked on a woman who was right in the back and she said she took the microphone and she said, first of all, I'm a born born again Christian. I said, OK, uh-huh. <laughs> sort of steadied myself. And she said, I just want to thank you for rem- reminding the world about the real message of Jesus. And she sat down and I almost passed out because that was like my point. But I didn't know if any, you know, when you make a film, especially your first film, you have no idea if it makes any sense, (laughs) if anyone's going to care, if anyone's ever going to see it. And here is this woman, maybe like one of the first five questions I've ever taken about that film. And someone got it. And I had that experience over and over. But these death threats that I would get were clearly from people who hadn't seen the film. So I'd always answer them like, you know, dear I've got a gun for your head. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for your message. It occurs to me that maybe you haven't seen For the Bible Tells Me So yet. But um, when you do have the chance to see it, you'll understand that it actually is about Christians. It features something like seven uh, Christian clergy. It's not a movie that diminishes Christianity. It's made it was made by mostly Christians. So if you do, if you are able to see it, I hope you'll reach back out because I'd love to then have an informed conversation, you know, prayerfully yours. <laughs> I did something not like I did not. Mike, I said I would let you say something, but but here I am. This, this, <laughs> welcome to Gaius. This is our show. OK, uh, one, that is the most level headed and respectful answer. And I'm very impressed with with what you just said. And I don't know if I could be that that good in a response. Uh, but number two, 
what is your religion? Are you Christian? Well, I was born, I mean, I, I grew up in a pretty uh, Christian household. We were, um, we're not religiously um, affiliated. In other words, um, we weren't Presbyterian or Lutheran. We were Protestant. So my par- my father was a salesman. So we moved like every two years and we always found a new church, but we weren't always in an Episcopal church or a Methodist church. They kind of chose among Protestant churches. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to Duke. One of the first things I did because of my upbringing was I became a chapel usher because I knew I would be having a lot of fun at Duke and I wanted to be sure I was up Sunday mornings for church. Um, so it's very much in my makeup and in my background. So it's not definitely, you know, they say for documentary filmmakers, you know, make what you know, it's the world I know. So, um, what about- that's really a big reason why I've, you know, made so much of my work about these issues. Um, what about currently? What is your current religious affiliation, if any? Yeah, um, I would say that for that's, that's a hard question. Um, I I I would not label myself a Christian the way it's defined right now in America. Um, I definitely take some some instruction from how that being named Jesus thought we should live. Whether I think he was actually the Son of God or simply a rabbi, or just a myth. Uh, I don't know what I think now, um, but I do know that I do want to try to treat people the way I want to be treated. I try to take those those lessons that um, are so much part of that ministry that so few Christians now seem to really even think about. Um, so I would say I've been mostly pushed away from Christianity by people who call themselves christian yeah, yeah. interesting the, the, oh. jesus is great it's his followers are suck <laughs> <laughs> so with uh with ruth bader ginsburg and the presidential election coming up in in november is there is there a part three like is this a trilogy that you're going to be in the process of making or uh, what are you working on now instead maybe well, um, I'm working on a couple really interesting, a few really interesting movies. I'm executive producing a couple that I'm not directing and producing, but I'm sort of consulting on. Mm-hmm. One is a movie called The Radical about the first openly gay imam in Islam. Wow. Uh, he lives in South Africa. Amazing, amazing guy in an v- extremely difficult situation. You'll have to help me. Uh, when you said imam, I thought that meant... A, a mom electronic that, mother yeah that is on the internet okay sorry what, what's imam imam is in the muslim faith and imam is like a priest oh, okay okay so he's the first openly gay imam in islam islam which is a famously violently anti-gay religion um in so south africa is- south africa is famously secular and does not have religious freedom protections so is that is he only able to hold that post because he's in south africa well um i'm sure that's part of sort of how he was able to get to the point he is by being out and being an imam but he is all over the world in all these other parts of africa especially there's a big part of the films in kenya which is um quite a difficult place for him to be but he's doing the he's doing this work i mean he's he's almost a prophet he's very interesting guy 
I'm also making a film about, you know, Poland is an incredibly bad place to be if you're LGBTQ right now. It's getting worse and worse very quickly. Yet they had their first um, one of the presidential candidates uh, in this last election was their first openly gay candidate uh, for president. And he came in third. Uh, he's an amazing guy. He's very much of the time. His following is heavily through social media. He's very good looking, has a really handsome husband. He really has captured the progressive part of Poland. It wasn't big enough to overcome this horrific um, re-election of this of Duda, who's the president, who's just as bad or worse um, than the one in um, America or Brazil. Um but that guy, that film is going to be really interesting, too. And I'm also executive producing a movie called 1946 about the fact that um, the word homosexual never appeared in a Bible until the year 1946. This 2,000-year-old book didn't have that word in it until 46. So this movie is about sort of how that happened, why it happened, um, why the committee that wrote that translation was super split and ultimately decided not to include it, but it still got in. Um, interesting stuff. You know, I, I, I'm always really interested in religion, uh, and how it affects people because I think it can be, it can often be a really positive influence. And so many times it can turn so dark and be deadly. Uh, and then finally I'm making a film myself. I'm making a series, a documentary series about the fact that when Hitler first came to power in 33, he put a Nazi in Los Angeles as the German consul to Los Angeles, who's, and his only job, which he did incredibly effectively, was to be sure that the five major studios make no movies that said anything bad about Germany or Hitler or anything good about the Jews. So it's really interesting, interesting story about a time where we think um, everyone knew what, what, how bad Hitler was and, you know, everyone is against him. Mm, everyone knew, definitely. But... When it became, uh, a, a, you know, if between profit and doing what was ethically right, the moguls chose profit every time. Sounds like today. What you just said is very unfortunate and like a direct, very much directly today for sure. So fuck. Wow. Yeah. 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 You know, the one thing, it, whenever, whenever I meet a German, I, as I said, I live in Berlin, so I'm meeting people all the time. The first question I've gotten, at least for the last two years, is, oh, you're American? Don't Americans know our history? How can <laughs> they be letting this happen? And, like, it's really stunning. It, if, if There was just a study about what are Germans scared of um, right now. Um, COVID was at 30 points. Trump was at 53. They, Germans are most scared of him being reelected. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Great. More reasons to move to Germany, everybody. Cool. We have a we have a, a listener in Germany that we're like auctioning off on who can marry him so we can get out. So great. So I'm uh, just want everyone to know where they can find for they know not what they do or, or anything else you want to plug. So tell us, give us the site, your social, anything you want uh, listeners to know or do. Great. Uh, for they know not what they do, just has just come out on DVD and gone on to iTunes and Amazon Prime in this last week. So you can find it uh, those three ways or go to ForTheyKnow.org, which is our website, or our Facebook movie page or our Instagram. It's all kind of um, linked and Twitter. 
uh, you can find it in many different ways. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear if you've seen if you see the film. I'd love to hear what you talk think about it. Yeah, and don't send your death threats until you've watched it. <laughs> right, please. <laughs> and thank you to the Seattle Queer Film Festival for our audience award. We won the audience award. Oh, nice. The film last year. That's incredible. Yeah, we love Seattle. Yeah, good, good. But That's we love it. Berlin if you want to trade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel Kressley, thank you, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your time and, and all of your contributions to moving the needle for queer people. Sure. Thank you. So, thank you to you guys too. You're doing great work. Oh wow! That's why I did this interview for you to compliment <laughs> us. I like that. <laughs> thank you very much. Ooh, that was very interesting. <laughs> good, good job, all of us. He was actually super great. He was. He. Both of them were really awesome. Uh, so, speaking of both of them, oh, d- or do we want to reflect at all on that interview? No, he's awesome. Go see his movies. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, Speaking of people who, whose movies you should see. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome people whose movies you should see. Uh, we also talked to uh, David France um, and had a really great conversation with him about some real serious shit. Like, let's really get into it. And his uh, dog. And his dog. <laughs> we want to welcome to the show David France, who is an Oscar nominated documentarian. Uh, he has a lot of films that are very relevant to the LGBT community. Welcome and thanks for uh, being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I just wanted to start with what, what I noted with, um, how to survive a plague, the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson. Welcome to Chechnya. Like they, they all to me have this interesting way of being relatable to today in a weird, different way. How to survive a plague. Although you're talking about AIDS, of course, right now is very weird time for that. Uh, yeah, this we never anticipated that. I, well, that's part of the question. Um, like even Welcome to Chechnya, which was this year. I mean, you made news with this and, and the story develops. I'm curious how you think about when you create your documentaries, how they will relate to today's world or if that's even a consideration. Well, I know I always do try to do that. You know, I'm, I'm a journalist, obviously, first and foremost, a uh, uh, historian um, and documentary filmmaker. And if, if you go back to historical subjects and you don't find the relevance and messages in there for today, then you're really missing something, I think, as an historian. And when I turned back to look at the plague years in America for uh, how to survive a plague, I really thought that there must be something we can learn from those years that would be relevant for today. Like, like what, what, did, what came out of that period? what did AIDS give us? And it sounds awful, but I kept saying to people that I was looking for the feel-good AIDS film, the, the film that told us what the, what the positive legacies of those hideous years were. And, um, and obviously, when I go back to look at the, um, the story of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, it's really clear to people how positive the legacy is that they left behind. But in that project, I was trying to find out how they did it. Really, what, what did they do? What, how, would, how could they, as two trans women working the streets in the 60s, how could they have conceived of this kind of revolutionary new idea, not just gay lib? You know, they were the original founders of the modern gay movement, along with a handful of other folks after Stonewall. But... Um, they started the first transgender rights organization in 1970, um, back before we knew to call it 
transgender. It was back before we knew how to parse gender at all. And they walked us through it as you know, disenfranchised uh, trans women of the, of the most extreme sort, living on the streets, mostly homeless, uh, no formal education. And um, so I wanted to find out that. I wanted to learn from them about the powers of what they're doing. And the Welcome to Chechnya is a film that's a, about an ongoing horror. Uh, and so it's unlike the others. It's not an exercise in returning to history. It's, it's really much more straightforward journalism about Again, radical queer activists and what they're taking on that no one else uh, had the nerve or or, 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 or steel to do. Um, and they're still doing it today. And, uh, and so I wanted to find out what queer, radical queer activism is like today. And that's what brought me to Russia. So we, we've been we've been talking about Chechnya off and on on our show uh, in our news segments. And. It seems to me that that is sort of on the leading edge of a really troubling growth in anti-LGBT sentiment in Europe and Asia. I'm wondering if that matches your perception or if we're turning the tide at all. And Africa and yep. North America. Hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's happening everywhere. It's, you know, this rise of right wing um you know, dictatorial, uh, tyrannical leaders um, has been going on for some time. And it's really been uh, led in this kind of historical moment by Putin, who um, used the uh, kind of return to the culture wars against the LGBTQ community in Russia um, uh, years ago when he was cementing his return to power, uh, his, his, his second return to power. Um, and turned the country into this kind of uh, singular focus against the community and an attempt to scapegoat the community for everything that's bad in the world and society, for the collapse of the Soviet Union, et cetera. And we've seen that spread now um, uh, to, you know, obviously to Ukraine, where things are terrible, certainly to Poland, where a third of the country is... Um, you know, has declared itself gay free. The gay free zone. Yeah. I think that's hilarious in a really <laughs> fucked up way. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it it's yeah, it's it's, it's awful. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing it in Tanzania and elsewhere in Nigeria and elsewhere in Africa. And then you know, we've watched it now with Donald Trump and his and his red state minions, who have really seized on a, a kind of an anti transgender uh, mission to launch whatever it is that we're in the middle of that we're still gripped by. And, um, and, and, you know, the film tells the story really of only the most ex extreme expression of that in Chechnya with this, this, this idiot Ramzan Kadyrov, um, who is, um, you know, he's just answering the call of, of the Kremlin to, to bend his people against queers as a way to control them and, contr and control all the levers of government and power. And it's certainly working there. He has been almost nearly without ramification for this campaign that he waged starting in 2017. Global p political power has not come down hard on Putin to stop it. And uh, it just goes on. And you might have answered uh, what I was going to ask of of why, given the worldwide kind of move right wing or anti LGBT sentiment, why Chechnya was going to be my question. You mentioned that's an extreme example. Is that why you wanted to do that one, or are there, are there any other reasons that drew you to Chechnya specifically? 
Well, it certainly is the tip of the whip, right, is, is what's happening in, in Chechnya. And the rest of us are, you know, further down the, the stem of that whip. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it, it is the most extreme, I think, globally. And you know the statistics. I'm sure you've talked about them on your show. 70-plus countries criminalize um, homosexuality. 90-plus countries criminalize trans lives. Um, eight or nine of those countries consider uh, the death penalty for LGBTQ people, but only one place in the world is doing what Hitler did, which is a government down, government directed campaign to identify, round up and liquidate citizens who are LGBTQ. And that's what's happening in Chechnya. That's what Ramzan Kadyrov is doing in his government in Grozny. Um, And that we haven't seen in generations, not since Hitler. And it's on the edge of Europe. There it is, right there happening. And the, the silence from the UN and other global security bodies has been uh, infuriating and has been you know, flaming uh, or, or encouraging the flames of, of fanning the flames of what's going on there. And that's why I wanted to tell the story. But I'll be honest with you, what really drew me to it was the idea that because nobody else is doing anything to counter this, um, it was left to just a small handful of ordinary queer activists in Russia to find a way to bravely take on this whole thing, to build this vast underground railroad to get people out, to go in by hand and rescue queers who are um, under you know certain risk of death. Um, and they're doing it in this way that you just can't imagine. I couldn't imagine. The, what they're taking on and 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 they're no different than you and I are I mean they didn't train to do that it's not like they were you know working out in um you know basic training facilities when this thing happened you know one was a journalist and one was an advertising executive and one was a teacher of, of um, the Russian language and literature and they, these are the people who came together built this remarkable global network that is doing this work in the shadows. And so that, so I called them up and said, uh, you, you know, you, you, do you need people to know what you're doing? And they said, yes. And, and I said, well, let me come and let me bring my cameras and let me find a way to, to tell the story about what you're doing and what you're accomplishing. And, and that, that's why for me, it, it falls into that kind of concept of this trilogy of mine of queer, radical queer activism, that they are just amazing people. They're heroes. I mean, real heroes. Um, and it's not a word I use easily, but I never have seen people take on what these folks are taking on. It's like they're, they're like characters out of a movie. I'm, so, I'm sort of interested. Uh, how difficult was it to get into Russia? Because I visited a couple of summers ago and there was quite a process just to get permission to go and ride the train, much less bring in cameras and talk about this very unpopular topic, at least unpopular to the to the government. Um, was it was it difficult at all? Well, I had just applied as a as a tourist and got a tourist visa and had no trouble doing that. Um, and uh, and then I kept an extremely low profile. Um, the first thing that I knew was that I could not be seen to be making a film. I couldn't be traipsing in and out of these secret uh, safe houses with uh, cameras and camera crews and sound engineers and booms and. Uh, dollies and tripods I, you know the those tools stayed in in my studio in new york and and i 
I w- went in with a, a small tourist video camera, uh, a little handy cam, and my cell phone, and that's how we started to film. Uh, and so, so, and, and nobody. I mean, the the main uh, answer to your question is that nobody did detect us. In the process of telling the story, you, I mean, a few extreme things that I've never seen before, um, things like uh, gay bashing, uh, rape, uh, suicide attempt. There were some very extreme things that you showed. I'm I'm curious what you're like, what, both what it was like to experience that and what made you take the decision of including those in the film. Well, some of the stuff that's in the film, most of the, most of the film, obviously, is just my, what I saw uh, of the lives of the people over an 18 month period who allowed me to follow them and, uh, and, and to tell their stories and amplify their voices. Um, and one of those people was the young man who, in his despair, uh, attempted suicide uh, at one of the safe houses. Uh, he was a young man I had gotten to know very well. It was heartbreaking to see how 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 destabilized he was by the circumstances that that um, that he had found himself living in. I mean, you know, he had been tortured terribly. He had been um, just barely survived uh, to tell his story. And, um, and surviving doesn't mean that, that you are not permanently damaged by having gone through that. I mean, he was abducted in the streets in Chechnya. He was held incommunicado, tortured within an inch of his life, um, rejected by his family, hunted by them to the point where he found his way into the shelter system. And it was only inside that those those darkened spaces that he found any sort of comfort in, and uh, so when he attempted suicide, I I felt a a, a certain sort of kind of um, you know paternal sort of response to it, but um, I I included it in the film because it represented really the stakes of what's happening there. You know, it's we can't simply celebrate people's arrival through this pipeline out into Western Europe or North America or Northern Europe, because they are still um, the product of this atrocity, this, this genocide. And, uh, and some, and some of the other images that you discuss um, uh, were images that we've dug up while we were doing this reporting. You know, the, it's not a secret what's going on in, Chechnya, except the Chechen government uh, and their enablers in Moscow deny it. Right. They, they say it doesn't happen. The reason we know it doesn't happen is because nobody's come forward to to say it happened. Because and everybody's obviously too frightened to come forward. And there's no evidence of it. But it turns out what we discovered is that there is evidence of it. That they in fact are recording these things that they're doing. They're creating their own evidence and they're sharing it among themselves as trophies. Kind of these these like, you know, things to in, enjoy and share among their friends on social media, um, you know, chats, like, like WhatsApp or Telegram. And we found them. And uh, there was the evidence that they kept saying didn't exist. And that's why we included it in the film was because I, uh, I wanted to turn that on its head, that these things that they, that they, that they know very well exist um, are, in fact, forensic evidence of the crimes that they're committing. Yeah. 
you just gave me some vibes of just like sharing horrible things within your what you think is your personal or whatever chats you just gave me some vibes of proud boys does that i'm curious like that has because of the debates has been a big topic uh, particularly recently i'm curious if if you think that's a similar connection these are not simply goons that are carrying this out these are government officials this is the police these are security forces this is directed by the regional leader um, to all the people who work under him to carry this out. It's an, there's an organizational structure that is entirely official, entirely um, salaried by the government there. Um, so the, it's, it's as though the Proud Boys were given all of the, the powers of government. But that's the power to Hitler, right? It's not... These were not just like the brown shirts of, uh, of that period. These were the, the soldiers. These are the generals. Um, these, were the, these were every level of the government and the security services there. So that's what makes it so horrifying. And that's what makes it so dangerous to try to tell the stories. And that's what makes it so unsafe for people once the, if they do get free. And during the course of the filming, 151 people did get free. Who knows how many hundreds or thousands didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do, if you're lucky enough to get free, they're going to come for you no matter where you are. Uh, and there's a vast Chechen diaspora throughout the globe. Uh, and they exercise crazy control over the people in the diaspora, uh, to find people who've gotten free and to, you know, carry out the punishments where they find them or get them back somehow to Chechnya for the, for that, the, the, the final solution, if you will to be carried out. This is quite the morbid connection. And uh, another filmmaker that we talked to spoke about death threats and personal danger as a result of the work. And I imagine there's the capacity for that here as well. Has that been the case for you? Have you received threats or action against you or your safety? I will tell you that, um, that, that it was just made very plain as we were doing this, that this was not a story that anybody in Chechnya or Russia proper uh wanted told and once we announced the film and we premiered uh, this earlier this year in sundance we were were then invited to go to berlin to the berlinale film festival and we were um warned against our arrival there that city has um, among the strongest uh, of and largest of the diasporic communities um, and we've also seen it's been in the news it's not just coming from me that the crimes carried out by Chechens against enemies of Kadyrov and Putin in Berlin. It happened just last year. There was a, a, a broad daylight assassination of a guy who was just sitting at a bus stop. So we alerted the U.S. Embassy, and uh, the U.S. Embassy alerted the uh, German federal police, and we were under protection the entire time we were there. And in fact, the entire time we'd marched the film around at um, film festivals, we had both private and public security details with us just to make sure. So we don't know if they were able to, you know, thwart anything before anything happened, but clearly nothing has happened. And then COVID, which is even, which is a disaster that, that no, um, no FBI or CIA can, can save us from, uh, sent us all home. And I like to think that the would-be Chechen assassins have also been sent home (laughs) and uh, we're all in the same lockdown. Speaking of COVID, you mentioned trying to learn what we can from AIDS and and get the positive story from AIDS. 
what do you think how to survive a plague should be teaching us of how to survive covid right now that's such a good question and you know i i've been asked before and and i think i might have a different answer now because it's so oh, many months later exclusive exclusive <laughs> Gaius, exclusive so early on the i i didn't see how the how one spoke to the other um because what we learn in in the, those early years, those, those plague years of AIDS, those first 15 years of HIV, when there wasn't a single pill that was doing anything to save anybody's lives, um, was that, uh, that it was up to the people impacted by the disease to do something about it, and that it was going to take a, a new kind of activism, a citizen science kind of activism, to do something about it. And that was slow going. You know, even once um, that kind of activism took hold, HIV comes in 1981, that kind of activism comes in 1987. It's not until 1996, uh, uh, all those years later, that, that the breakthrough drugs come out. So it's like almost a decade of, of serious political organizing, uh, of countering the research scientists, of trying to educate them, uh, and people bringing their dogs to <laughs> to get even more voice on this my but, dog um, was so, just drinking very loudly from his water bowl and i felt too bad to tell him to stop drinking water so we'll both have a little bit of dog in our audio and so and at first i was saying that i didn't see the role for activism in covid Every, everybody and this is something that i don't i haven't spoken about really but everybody who gave us aids activism organized again. They organized into this kind of COVID working group. Same folks who are in How to Survive a Plague, the people who survived and became real heroes, said, what can we do? And they got together and they've been meeting now, you know, two and three and four times a week um, and got no traction in months of that work. And, uh, and, and I think I dismissed their capacities too quickly, too early on. And I, I think that they've done a remarkable job of organizing a, a space for science to be protected and to be defended in ways that I didn't think it needed to be. Um, and, um, and we see that the activism of the scientists themselves is going and has been an essential part of this. Anthony Fauci at the NIH. Yeah, I was know. just going to ask about Dr. Fauci and whether whether you think that he deserves his sort of AIDS savior mantle that he got early in the COVID uh, crisis when he started becoming the public face of the scientific effort. It's a kind of a mixed answer to that question, I guess. Right. So, like, in, I, I followed up the film "How to Survive a Plague" with a book, "How to Survive a Plague," that goes back in greater detail through the the entire stretch of 15 years from the first identification of HIV to, to 1996. And, and I don't think that, you know, I think historically he, he made a great difference, but he made many mistakes and his mistakes were um, uh, not just errors, but, um, um, but wrong decisions uh, made against all evidence uh, that cost lives. And he's not at the bench doing research now in, in COVID. That's not his role. Uh, vaccines is where everything's been playing out and that's out of his hands. 
he's been working on research for um, for treatments, which I think might be producing something. But he's become this public face, and I think he's used a lot of the lessons that he learned about how to interact with with recalcitrant governments that has been uh, very useful. You know, he he was in the same position under Ronald Reagan, and Ronald Reagan was just as anti-science about HIV as this guy is about uh, SARS-CoV-2. And it was just as disastrous, you know, obviously. And they both, I think, Trump and, and Reagan have a lot in common. I, I think one was somewhat brighter than the other. <laughs> I don't even need to ask. <laughs> well, and, and, and another thing that comes to mind is Reagan never got HIV, which it sort of makes you wonder how things Reagan, might have played out differently if he had. Ex- exactly. But they both have these weird, um, um, you know, marginal uh, uh, ideologies. And Reagan's was this evangelical movement, this kind of radical Christian right stuff that was a real kind of minor force in America that he brought right into the White House. And Trump's brought in something else into the White House, some ideology of self and self-interest and kind of political expedience. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's Fauci has, he's war tested, I guess, when it comes to it. I, am I critical of his work today? Yeah. Do, you know, do I think he, He's making mistakes again. Yeah. Do I think we need him to say what he's really seeing there on the ground? Yes, uh, because I know he now is not making errors in judgment. Um, he knows what's happening. Um, and I think he thinks that as long as he's there, it won't be as bad. And that justifies his, his tenure in his mind. And, um, and I don't disagree with him. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in his position. I want to ask, change gears a little bit. Um, we, we haven't talked as much about um, the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson, but that, especially this year for me, was really meaningful for a lot of reasons. The context of Black Lives Matter, the context of, of Marsha P. Johnson getting more and more mainstream recognition, uh, being home during Pride and not being able to go out and celebrate. It's like, what do I do now? And it's watch documentaries. So something that when I watched it was really interesting that I didn't consider is it's a true crime story. Like there, there's, there's been these, this wave of true crime interest. And I view, I, in my mind, they are two different. There's true crime and there's LGBT activism. And it, that was one thing uh, other than uh, obviously the, the story and her and, and everything. But, the, but that stu- stood out to me of how this was a true crime story. And I'm curious how you feel about either this being called a true crime story or the, the wave of true crime interest, uh, public interest of late. Uh, such a good observation. You know, I always privately called oh, it a, a, a noir You're complimenting film, me so right? many, several times. So I really enjoy this. <laughs> I just, I, I thought of it as very noir when I started thinking back, you know, I knew Marsha. I was, um, um, uh, I was working as a print journalist in New York when she died. She was one of the first people I met when I moved to New York. So she was kind of like, she was the queen of Christopher Street. Like, it, you know, if if she said hi to you, if she called out, and as you walked down the street, you you knew you had arrived. She she kind of gave me my um, you know, my passport as a New Yorker, I guess, in a way. Oh. Um, and uh, and I was working at the Village Voice when when she died in 1992, and I was asked to find out what the hell happened. And I did some reporting around it, but it was also the year my boyfriend at the time was sick and dying. And, um, so she died in July and he died in November and it was, and I just 
never, I just, I was, it was threw me off that story and um, threw me off so many things that year. And um, so I, I never returned to it. And as I was starting to think about um, projects after how to survive a plague, I thought about that time in 92 in New York and all the characters and all the, the, the kind of incredible, almost Chinatown kind of, you know, political reality on the street. And I thought this is really, it's a, it's a film noir. Um, it's, it's, it has genre written all over it. And so I, I actually was, that was part of my thinking when I started on it. So I'm, I'm glad you see it that way. I, I don't know if, if you noticed, but I, it's, it's often shot in the rain. And, um, and I, I kept thinking rain, rain was a good, uh, kind of theme for all of this and so we we really chose our shoot schedules around the weather to see if we could capture a kind of a dark and rainy feel of new york and um, interesting and yeah no what i was not thinking about the rise in um kind of true crime nonfiction when i started it i was thinking about the rise in um uh crime against the transgender community um especially trans people of color trans women of color, uh, that was, um, that was already those, what was that two or three years ago was already, um, endemic. And I thought, uh, if, if we can't like solve the case or bring, uh, justice to Marsha P. Johnson's case, you know, how can we teach our society and our criminal justice system and our, um, newspapers and all kind of all the, the, the corners of culture to respond aggressively and urgently to the crimes that are being committed still every day and in mounting numbers against the trans uh, women of color community. So this is switching gears a, a little yeah. bit. I, I, I'm curious, I, I think people are tired and perhaps rightly so that we've got COVID and we've got trans people being murdered and we have all of the atrocities happening in Chechnya and we have black lives matter and we i mean people are inundated with things to care about and be angry about and there's there's a certain amount of exhaustion i think that can come from that do you have any advice for people on how to find hope and what can they do yeah the the fact that you talked about aids and finding positive story makes me think you have a unique ability to find (laughs) something good out of things well i wish that were true (laughs) I wish I were an optimist. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it does. I, I think you're right. It does seem that we have to fight it all. And I was feeling at the beginning of COVID very uh, unhopeful for America, unhopeful for the world. And it wasn't until Black Lives Matter began to tackle the narrative and to change the narrative that I started feeling hope, that I started feeling like we can rebuild from all of this in a new way. And that there have been people on the ground preparing for this to take this moment, to seize this moment. Um, And they have found uh, a window of opportunity because of COVID that I think is really strong and powerful. I think, I think they will lead us through our, I think our, our, um, the black lives matter movement is so broad philosophically um, and, and has such a broad agenda that I, I think that it, that it can help direct us into a much better place. We can't rescue every queer person from Chechnya. That's not the solution. 
there are, by even the most conservative estimates, something like 40,000 queer people still in Chechnya, you know, marked for death if their identities were ever revealed. And, and you can't rescue those people out of that. You can't, you, and you can't just move people to safer places. We've got to get rid of this, the tyranny that, that is taking hold, this, this, you know, brutal populism that has changed, you know, world history in the last 10 and 15 years. We've got to end it once and for all. We've got to, you know, find a way to, you know, and Biden's not going to do it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he's not the answer. He, he only slows down the problem. And, we, and I, I think we've got to find through the, the genius of the people who are uh, formulating the strategy of activism today around the globe, we've got to find the solution there. I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, so uh, before we let you go, then, where can uh, people can watch Welcome to Chechnya on HBO? They can watch The Death and Life of March P. Johnson on Netflix. Uh, what else, though? Where can people find you or other films or what you're doing? Uh, the uh, How to Survive a Plague is available on all other platforms, YouTube, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, or on IFC Films, which is the global distributor of the film. Uh, and I'm currently working on a film that's looking for hope in COVID. So um, oh, wow. I haven't found it yet, or you'll be able to see the films <laughs> once, <laughs> once, once we find the, the feel-good COVID story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'd like to start working on comedies. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it would be so nice, wouldn't it? Or musicals. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a, 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 a hard right turn for you in, in the documentaries oh, you make. Oh, God. But... Yeah, which of your films would we adapt into a musical? <laughs> oh, come on. You know the answer to that. It's <laughs> How to Survive a Plague. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, everybody who's in the film, like the first time they saw it, the first time it premiered, they all got together and cast the musical. They knew oh, exactly God. who was going to play what part. <laughs> Well, David Friends, thank you very, very much for being here. We really appreciate your time today. Thanks yeah, for thank having you. me. And thanks for, thanks for sharing news about Chechnya with your, with your audience. I really appreciate it. Yeah, oh, and, and I could invite your audience to go to welcometochechnya.com and find out ways to practically help the people who are in the film and help in the movement. Awesome. As our first lady says, be best. <laughs> Ooh, even more interesting. <laughs> this is so natural. I'm Are doing you, so good. Your segues, man. I know. They're fucking knocking it out of the park. <laughs> Sports reference. Sports. Home run. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything is hopeless and we're all going to die, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you, it, do you have any documentaries that like really stand out to you as like... I mean, 13th was, oh, yeah, was, yeah. was huge. Like yeah. watching that, I think every single white person in the entire universe should be sat down and forced to watch that movie. Yes. Yes. Um, it, not that the people that need to see it are going to. Nope. Nope. Um, I think back to when we, uh, did our, uh, we're on X-rated movies and, mm -hmm. and watched the celluloid closet and how disappointed I was when I learned that I was not watching a fictional movie. <laughs> yeah. And at first I like kind of hated it cause I was like, Oh, this is about people talking about stuff and so i just didn't know it was a documentary yeah so but i love but i love it it's great that's another good one to watch to learn about gay cinema and, and we we talked about a lot um, when we talked about aids there were several and i watched a bunch of those and they're they're all really good um so yeah there's a lot out there so find just find one you know watch one thing 
Yep. If any of these stood out to you, watch one. It's also good, I think, because we so often and sometimes fail, but we, we, we so often say it is not our job to educate you. Mm-hmm. It's not black people's job to educate you. Right. It's not queer people's job to educate you. Yeah. This is a way to educate yourself. Yeah. Like if you have questions and you <laughs> want context and like then you can watch a documentary. That's a really good way. Like you said earlier, it's it's like you just sit on the couch and watch yeah. your fucking TV, right? Like, <laughs> But then you're not putting the burden of education on the people that you're trying to learn more about. It's also, it feels very meaningful because we don't have, I mean, education in general in this country is like a shit show, but, um, but LGBT specific education is so terrible that I don't know this stuff. No mm. one taught me this stuff. Or I know of AIDS or of Stonewall, and that's kind of where it ends. So uh, we say don't say take away your gay card. I think where we could, where it's more legitimate, like what you should know as a gay person is some of that history. And you're right. It's not to educate other people. It's to know where we've been so we can help inform where we're going. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, so did we do it? Yeah. I mean, I think, oh. Just want to let people know that For the Bible Tells Me So is available on iTunes. For They Know Not What They Do is available on Amazon for purchase. Welcome to Chechnya is available on HBO. And How to Survive a Plague is on iTunes Prime Google Play. And and uh, The Death and Life of Marsha B. Johnson is on Netflix. Oh, right, shit. Yeah. No, we... How did I miss that? I don't know, Dan. I looked it up and then I didn't write it on my list. Hmm. Hmm. We'll have a we'll have a, a talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll make sure that we say no. I, w- I want people to know where to go, so I, I want to make sure. So that's good to have in case we don't make it very clear. Or we could say it again. Fuck you. Go watch it. There's all the places and and do it. Yes, Mike. We did it. We, we did it. <laughs> we documented all the documentaries. <laughs> oh, God. Um. And in the Patreon thing, which I'm very uncomfortable about, we're going to talk about a documentary I've been working on. Yeah. Great. Let me put myself in the category of Oscar nominee, (laughs) David France. (laughs) We're the same person, probably. (laughs) Should we take a break? Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Break. This is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. Great. Great. Do you want to close the show or do you want to? Yeah, let's close the show. That'll... Are you ready? Yeah. So are we back? Oh, whoa, we're back. Yes, I'm ready <laughs> right now, I guess. <laughs> we're back. Um, we are going to do our gays and straightest. We're going to do our gays and straightest, but first, y'all failed. You fucked it's it up. your fault. We blame you. We did not win the <laughs> People's Choice Podcast Award. We uh, again lost to Derek and Romaine. Uh, okay, the most fucked up part is like, if you win five times in a row, then they retire you out of the category, but yeah. because... If these ovaries could talk one last year, it re- restarts the count. So basically... It does? Yes. It's not five total? I don't think so. Huh. So, uh, so at least... Anyway, we're basically on track to to win it never. <laughs> I mean, we're going to... The good thing is we can pretend like we would have won it if not for them. And we don't need to know the truth. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. But uh, we'll let you know for next year if we haven't quit. Sure. Yeah, quit applying to that thing. <laughs> um, or quit the show. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Or just quit. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, we just recently found out that we were mentioned in Oprah Magazine. Yeah. Uh, .com, like the web the website, as most .coms are. Um, it, we were on a list of, well, I don't know about this, erotica podcast, which I don't know that, sure. Sure. I mean, sure. But uh, whatever. Oprah can 
put us wherever she wants and I'm fine with it. But yeah, that was really surprising and really cool that like one of the lead writers or whatever at, at Oprah magazine put us on a list with people. Yep. And when you're done with OprahMagazines.com, you can go to our website, which is GayishPodcast.com. <laughs> well said. Um, uh, we are at Gayish Podcast on so much social media. We are on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, our Discord server. I'm getting more more into that. So in our Facebook group, we have links to all the other shit, including Discord and, and playing game, the game playing people that do gaming things with their hands and mouths. Yep. Well said. <laughs> Our hotline. You can send us text messages or leave us voicemails. Is five eight five five gayish. That's five eight five five four two nine four seven four. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail dot com. Our physical mailing address is Post Office Box one nine eight eight two, Seattle, Washington, nine eight one zero nine. Did you? What happened? Did you get? There looked like a moment where you like weren't sure where we lived. Oh, I thought maybe it was one nine eight eight one, and oh. then I was like punching myself in the face on the inside <laughs> it's like something happened that i didn't understand <laughs> i every time we do this segment now i'm waiting for you to pull out your package i mean a package oh. of like did we get anything maybe <gasps> okay next week okay <laughs> um gays and straightest yeah i'll go great uh, <laughs> as i stare you down <laughs> man lots of lots of face work that mike's doing on this episode um my uh gayest is i even said it to you when it happened i came over here why didn't i don't remember why but we watched the debates together oh yeah man we're masochists that's that, a night we won't get back nope <laughs> um, and we did it sober if you can fucking believe that shit it was the worst decision to like <laughs> i don't know why we chose that moment but um speaking I, of self-harm <laughs> <laughs> listen to patreon it's fun um uh the the gayest thing was i walked in wearing the queerest looking thing that I, so my fingernails are painted i'm wearing my uh skirt i'm wearing my um uh, meggings i hate that word so much my meggings um i have my like triangle like gay necklace on it that's the that's the queerest i've ever looked oh yeah. and my i had my rainbow face mask on thank you ae again so yeah, yeah. um I'm really I I really like that. I'm enjoying it. Um my straightest is on the way over here. Um so it's like kind of wet outside and Reynolds when he walks around, it, he's all the dachshund so picks up all the dirt. He's low to the ground so he just has dirt and crap all over his body and um he he and i are a different kind of dirty. Mm -hmm. Um he, we were <laughs> I got on the bus and he usually sits on my lap on the bus and he's dirty but I just kind of let him do it anyway and I was like I'm kind of dirty, but then like, this is, I'm so glad I'm not one of those clean, tidy, oh, yeah. put together, nice, neat, well-dressed gays because like, yeah. I was like, enjoy this moment. I don't care if I get dirty. I get to hold my dog and, and you know, this, this is why I don't care about it. So I get moments like this where I get to hang out with him and, and he sits in my lap. Yep. You just sort of like pick it up and dust it off and then put it in your mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you talking about like five second rule yeah. or are you talking about? That's a very straight guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so the straightest thing about me this week, I have been watching all of Star Trek Voyager over again, and... Has that been... Was that yours last week? Has that been years before no, maybe i mean i i think i've definitely used it in my gayest and straightest for different for different things but the mm. reason it's my straightest this week i cannot stop looking at seven of nine's boobs <laughs> holy shit those things are massive and just i can't that i just i see them 
<laughs> I see you. You are valid. Your boobs are valid. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, though. And I remember at the time, too, seeing them and and just like it seemed like such a transparent ploy to get straight guys to watch the show. Little did they know. <laughs> and lesbians. Yeah. Which I guess lesbians, bisexual people. Lesbians love Voyager because they're all of these like hot women in power that like have these weird like homoerotic things that they do and say and, oh. and interact. Anyway. Okay, great. Cool. Uh, the gayest thing about me this week, a, a little while ago, I tried to stop. I, I, I was, I was, I was picking out all of my white or gray eyebrows and mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to age gracefully and stop it. No, couldn't stop. I, 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 saw, I saw a couple of them this morning and I'm like, pulling them out of there. <laughs> my gay took over it was just like no yeah. tame that <laughs> um anyway uh so a listener's gay sustratus this week it comes from kurt from dallas on our discord server hi kurt and uh he says the following gayest talking about my booty <laughs> <laughs> uh and straightest prepare yourself guys Going to the A, deer lease, and B, shooting pistols, while C, wearing cargo shorts, D, and an Aggie hat, E, that was backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I was so lost, and and then it, you got me back at the end. What's a deer lease? I have no idea. Okay, great. That's my gayest this week. <laughs> deer lease? <laughs> deer lease. I, I, I hear it's cheaper than buying out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Why murder one if you could just borrow it yeah, for a while? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Aggies. My brother went to. I went to UT. And, uh, my brother went to A uh, and hmm. A deer lease is a hunting lease where basically you you uh, pay for the ability to go on somebody's property to hunt. Hmm. Oh, okay. It's like fish in a barrel. Sure. Those poor deer. <laughs> uh, go ahead. What? <laughs> That really depends on the size of the property. We're not talking about like a, like a, like a hundred by hundred lot with uh, with a deer on it. Like I just, I you just, don't know. It could be acres. I just pictured it showing up with a rifle to a petting zoo, <laughs> <laughs> like a child walking towards a lamb, and all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, oh no. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> this has been Gayish. A special thank you to Daniel Carslake and David France, our yes. documentarians, for sitting down with us amateurs and kicking it. Yeah, yeah. Fancy people with like real actual work that they do sitting down talking to us was really nice of them to both agree and give us the time and 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 just create these. So definitely go go check out their work. And thank you to Sarah Paulson and Holland Taylor for being together. Yeah. And and Unthank you to Nick Jonas because he didn't do anything this week. Yeah, especially not return my phone calls. <laughs> this has been Gayish. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. See you next week. See you next week. Get it on tape. Not a break. Retracted. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. Yes, a break. No break between them. Oh. Like, we could talk about them, but not, like, do the, like, we're back, and then do a oh, formal, got it. like... Oh, Okay, okay. Yeah? Sure. Okay, great. I'm glad we had this production meeting in the middle of recording. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs>